Lesson 5 for July 23 to 29, Jesus on Community Outreach. Sabbath afternoon, July 23. Before we start, let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we come before you as we open your word again this week. There are so many things that we need to learn. We've learnt the simple things, but there are words in your Bible that really talk to our hearts and show us how we should live. And as we open your word this week, we pray that not only will we see Jesus, but we will see the message that he has for us about how we relate to those around us. We pray in his wonderful name. Amen. Our memory text this week is Matthew chapter 4 and verse 23. Jesus went about all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease among the people. Let's read that again, Matthew 4.23. Jesus went about all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease among the people. Robert Louis Stevenson, best known for his adventure story Treasure Island, had been a sickly boy who couldn't go to school regularly. Finally, his parents hired a teacher to educate him and a nanny to help with his personal needs. One night, when his nanny came to check on him before he went to bed, he was out of bed and his hands and nose were pressed against the window. His nanny firmly told him to get back in bed before he got a chill. Robert asked her to come to the window and see what he was seeing. The nanny came to see. Down below on the street, there was a lamplighter lighting the street lights. Look there, Robert said. There's a man poking holes in the darkness. We've seen a bit of what the Old Testament said about helping those in need. We are now going to look at what the New Testament says, and what better place to start than with Jesus. And one of Jesus' well-known teachings is that we are to be the light of the world. That's from Matthew 5.14. In so doing, we reflect Jesus, the true light of the world. That's John 8.12. Jesus' teachings, which he modelled in his own earthly ministry, provide powerful instructions concerning how we, through him, can poke holes in the darkness. Sunday, July 24, Jesus' Mission Statement Jesus, the young rabbi from Nazareth, had become very popular in the region of Galilee, as we read in Luke chapter 4, verse 15, and he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. When he spoke, the people were astonished at his teachings, for he taught them as one having authority, and not as the scribes, we read in Matthew 7, verses 28 and 29. One Sabbath, when handed the scroll of Isaiah, Jesus read the first two verses of Isaiah 61, stopping in mid-sentence just before the phrase, and the day of vengeance of our God. Question. Read Luke chapter 4, verses 16 to 19. Where have we heard these words before? Well, we'll have a look at Isaiah 61, verses 1 and 2, because that's where they come from. 
What was Jesus proclaiming by reading those words? First of all, Luke chapter 4, verses 16 to 19. So he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and, as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and stood up to read. And he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah, and, when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the broken-hearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. And we'll compare that with Isaiah 61, verses 1 and 2. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to preach the good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to heal the broken-hearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord, and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn. As we already saw, the phrase, the year of the Lord's favour, is identified as the year of Jubilee in Leviticus 25. In this visit to Nazareth, Jesus quotes a messianic passage from Scripture and assures his hearers that today this Scripture is fulfilled in your hearing, as we read in Luke 4.21. In this sermon, he reveals himself as the anointed one who preaches good news to the poor, freedom for prisoners, sight for the blind, release for the oppressed, and jubilee restoration. This list well describes his earthly ministry, which was focused on teaching, healing, and ministering, especially to those in need. Question. Why did Jesus stop short of completing the sentence in verse 2 of Isaiah 61? Verse 2 in 61 reads, To proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn. In the book of Matthew, he wrote, or he read, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord, and then he stopped. Perhaps Jesus stopped short of the phrase, the day of vengeance of our God, because Jesus did not want his ministry to be associated with the prevailing concept that the Messiah would come to lead armies to vanquish the oppressors of Israel and bring them under Israel's power. That was a false conception that would, unfortunately, keep many of his fellow countrymen from seeing him and his ministry for what it really was. Instead, he focused on what he would do for those who needed what he had to offer right then and there, regardless of the political situation of the time. So to finish today, what should it say to us that Jesus announces his ministry in this way? That is, what would we take away for ourselves by his emphasizing here the practical work that we would be doing? Monday, July 25, Loving Your Neighbour Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul, and with all thy strength, and with all thy mind, 
and thy neighbour as thyself. Luke 10.27 Question. Read Luke chapter 10, verses 25 to 37. What message is given here to us in regard to the whole question of helping those in need? Beginning at verse 25 of Luke chapter 10. And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tested him, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? What is your reading of it? So he answered and said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered rightly. Do this, and you will live. But he, wanting to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Then Jesus answered and said, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves who stripped him of his clothing, wounded him, and departed, leaving him half dead. Now, by chance, a certain priest came down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise, a Levite, when he arrived at the place, came and looked, and passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. So he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, and he set him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. On the next day, when he departed, he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, and said to him, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, when I come again I will repay you. So which of these three do you think was neighbor to him who fell among the thieves? And he said, he who showed mercy on him. Then Jesus said to him, Go and do likewise. The expert in the law understood that all the commandments revolve around loving God with all you have and loving your neighbor as yourself. The question that remained to be answered was, Who is my neighbor? Given that the prevailing thought among the people of Israel in Christ's time was to favour their own kind as neighbours and relegate all others as outsiders, this expert in the law sought to have Jesus clarify the issue. The parable that Jesus tells reveals a totally different perspective. One neighbour is anyone we encounter who is in need. Being a neighbour is meeting the needs of a neighbour. The priest and the Levite were more concerned about defiling themselves and protecting their godly duties from contamination. What a convenient way to use their religion as an excuse not to have to die to self in order to help someone who, most likely, could never pay them back. In contrast, the Samaritan saw this wounded outsider and enemy as his neighbor, mercifully meeting his needs rather than his own. The point is that instead of asking, who is my neighbor, we need to be asking, who will be a neighbor to the downtrodden and oppressed? It doesn't matter who a person is. The one in need is the one whom we should help, period. From Christ's Object Lessons, page 386, we read, No distinction on account of nationality, race or caste is recognized by God. He is the maker of all humankind. All men are of one family by creation, and all are one through redemption. Christ came to demolish every wall of petition, to throw open every compartment of the temple, that every soul may have free access to God. His love is so broad, so deep, so full, 
that it penetrates everywhere. And so to finish today, what prejudices might be hindering you from being the neighbour you must be? Tuesday, July 26, The Whole Recipe Matthew 5, verse 13, in the New International Version, reads, You are the salt of the earth. In this passage, Jesus is calling his followers to be salt, which is a transforming agent. The church is a salt shaker, which contains the salt of the earth. With what or whom should we, this salt, mix? Only with ourselves? or with ingredients different from ourselves? You can better understand the answer to this question if you fill one loaf pan with only salt and the other loaf pan with bread that has salt as one of its ingredients. In the first pan, salt is the whole recipe. It hardly would be tasty, much less edible. In the second pan, salt is part of the recipe and is mixed with ingredients different from itself. And as such, it transforms a loaf of bread from bland to delicious. Salt does more good when it mixes with elements unlike itself. The same is true of Christians. This won't happen if we stay comfortably in the church salt shaker. Thus, there's a point here we shouldn't miss. We can, in every which way, be moral in that we don't smoke or drink or carouse or gamble or engage in crime. All that is important. But the question isn't just, what don't we do? Rather, it is, what do we do? That is, what do we do to help our community and those who are in need? Question. Read Matthew chapter 5, verse 13 again, concentrating on the rest of the verse. How can the salt lose its savour? Matthew 5.13, You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its flavour, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. From the Desire of Ages, page 439, we read, But if the salt has lost its savour, if there is only a profession of godliness without the love of Christ, there is no power for good. The life can exert no saving influence upon the world. End of quote. Go back to the recipe symbol. As we saw, if all we have is salt, it is no good. In fact, too much salt in the diet can be toxic. Salt has to be mixed with what is different from it. Thus, if we are too much like the world, we won't make a difference in it. We will have nothing to offer. The salt becomes good for nothing. And... What does Jesus say happens to it then? However permeated with the savour of the love of Christ, we still desire to become insiders with the outsiders, mixing with others in order to be a transforming agent, to be something that will make a positive difference in their lives, and by extension, leading others to what really matters in life, salvation in Jesus. And so to finish today, read 
three texts, and what danger do these texts warn about, and how can we be careful not to fall into this trap? The first one is Deuteronomy 12.30. Take heed to yourself that you are not ensnared to follow them after they are destroyed from before you, and that you do not inquire after their gods, saying, How did these nations serve their gods? I also will do likewise. And Deuteronomy 31 verse 20. When I have brought them to the land flowing with milk and honey, of which I swore to their fathers, and they have eaten and filled themselves and grown fat, then they will turn to other gods and serve them, and they will provoke me and break my covenant. And Isaiah chapter 2 and verse 8. Their land is also full of idols. They worship the work of their own hands, that which their own fingers have made. Wednesday, July 27, on being a farmer. Question. Read John chapter 4, verses 35 to 38. What is Jesus telling us here about the different steps needed in reaching souls? John chapter 4, beginning at verse 35. Do you not say there are still four months, and then comes the harvest? Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields, for they are already white for harvest. And he who reaps receives wages and gathers fruit for eternal life, that both he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. For in this the saying is true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you have not laboured. Others have laboured, and you have entered into their labours. The work of a farmer is multifaceted. Other types of farming work must be done before a harvest can be plentiful. Matthew chapter 9 verses 35 to 38 reads, Then Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them, because they were weary and scattered, like sheep having no shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, Pray the Lord of the harvest to send out labourers into his harvest. Not only reapers are needed in the Lord's harvest field. Can you imagine a farmer at harvest time saying to his farmhands, Harvest time is here, so we must start planting seeds. Reaping is best done after you have been farming all along. Farming includes preparing the soil, for not all ground is good ground at first, as we read in Matthew chapter 13, verses 3 through to 9. Then he spoke many things to them in parables, saying, Behold, a sower went out to sow. And, as he sowed, some seed fell by the wayside, and the birds came and devoured them. Some fell on stony places, where they did not have much earth, and they immediately sprang up, because they had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprang up and choked them. But others fell on good ground and yielded a crop, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears to hear, let him hear.'" 
question. What can your church do in your community to soften hard ground and remove rocks and thorns? Workers have done the hard farming work before the harvest and other workers reap the benefits of their labour. Sometimes evangelistic outreach strategies have emphasised reaping more than they do the preparatory farming. This is not how it should be done. The soil should be prepared long before the evangelist just shows up and starts preaching in hopes of reaching a harvest. We should look at working in the harvest field as a process, testing the soil, preparing, cultivating the soil, planting, watering, fertilising, fighting pests, waiting, reaping and preserving the harvest. Reaping the harvest is only one part of the process. In the church, the farming process could include soil testing activities such as community needs assessment surveys, demographics and interviews with community leaders. There can be soil-preparing, cultivating activities such as meeting needs of the community, which are revealed by the community assessment, seed-planting activities such as seminars, Bible studies and small groups, and praying for the rain, the Holy Spirit. Few people are one to Christ with only one exposure. We need to nurture them with a process of multiple exposures, increasing the likelihood that they will be ready for harvesting. If we rely only on scattered rents, it is unlikely that the new plants will survive until the harvest. And so, to finish today, what role should you be playing in the whole process of winning souls, as opposed to the role, if any, that you are playing now? Thursday, July 28. Church Planting. Question. Read Matthew chapter 10, verses 5 through to 10. Why would Jesus send his disciples out into the surrounding towns and villages without any resources? Well, let's have a look. Matthew chapter 10, beginning at verse 5. These twelve Jesus sent out and commanded them, saying, Do not go into the way of the Gentiles, and do not enter a city of the Samaritans. But go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, and as you go, preach, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. Provide neither gold, nor silver, nor copper in your money belts, nor bag for your journey, nor two tunics, nor sandals, nor staffs, for a worker is worthy of his food." It seems strange that Jesus' disciples would have direct orders to enter their ministry territory with little to sustain themselves. Apparently, Jesus placed his disciples in this situation to teach them dependence on God and also the importance of creating friendships through service to the local residents. These local residents would then value their service enough to provide support for the ministry. Pastor Frank's local conference asked him to plant a church in a section of a large city that had virtually no Adventist presence. Initially, he had no budget to do so. He consulted a map and determined the boundaries of that section of the city and studied the demographics of the people there. 
Then he parked his car in the busiest part of the neighbourhood and began going from business to business, asking questions about life in that area. He visited with local business and social agency leaders, asking questions about the greatest needs in that community. He made friends with some of the local residents who invited him to join a local civic club. In that setting, he discovered other leaders who opened the way to rent the annex of a local Presbyterian church. The Civic Club members provided seed money to buy paint and cleaning supplies to refurbish the annex to use for community services. Interviews with community leaders indicated that health care was an important need in the community. Therefore, Pastor Frank brought together a team of volunteers who ran various health screening programs and follow-up meetings in the annex for community residents. Those who benefited from the screenings and programs paid a modest fee, which helped pay the expenses. Soon, a branch Sabbath school was started and some of the residents began to attend. Pastor Frank soon learned that one of the best ways to plant a church is to first plant a ministry that meets the needs of the community, and then grow a church through that ministry. This community-based ministry spawned a Seventh-day Adventist church of more than 140 members. Pastor Frank's story illustrates what can happen when we follow Jesus' teaching about reaching our community. How did Jesus live out his own teachings about ministry? Next week, we will begin exploring Christ's ministry method, which, in the Minister of Healing, page 143, says, will give true success in reaching the people. Friday, July 29. Unless the church is the light of the world, it is darkness, Ellen White wrote in The Signs of the Times, September 11, 1893. That's a powerful thought. It reminds us of Jesus' words, He who is not with me is against me, and he who does not gather with me scatters abroad, Matthew 12.30. Jesus is making it plain. There is no neutral territory in the great controversy. We are on Christ's side or the devil's. To have been given great light and to do nothing with it, really, is to be working against it. We have been called to be lights in the world. If we aren't light, then we are darkness. Though the immediate context is different, the principle is the same in Matthew 6.23. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Perhaps all this could be summed up in Luke 12.48. For unto whomsoever much is given, of him shall be much required, and to whom men have committed much, of him they will ask the more. And that brings us to our three discussion questions for this week. 1. Discuss how we are to mingle with the world in order to reach out to others. How do we strike the right balance here? That is, how do we mingle with the world in a way that we can do others some good, while at the same time not getting so caught up in it that we become part of the problem, not the solution? And 2. 
So often, if we are involved in our community, the question of politics arises. After all, many of the issues that we want to help with, poverty, education, health care and so on, are part of the political debate. How can we be careful that we don't allow the inevitable polarisation of politics to contaminate what we want to do? Some political involvement seems unavoidable. So how can we position ourselves in a way to keep out of the political fray as much as possible? And three, or, on the other hand, are there situations in which we need to be in the political arena in order to best minister to the community? If so, what are they? And how can we operate in ways so that we don't compromise our gospel commission? Inside Story Our mission story this week is titled The Unseen Companion. Gospel mission pioneers have been called by God to live in areas where there are no organised churches. They make friends, lead people to Christ, strengthen and nurture believers, and provide leadership to the churches. These pioneers remain in their assigned region as long as they are needed, establishing a central congregation and then satellite congregations in neighbouring villages. In southern Sudan, they labour under difficult circumstances, without electricity, decent roads, running water, or many of the other conveniences most of us take for granted. Here is an amazing story that took place in southern Sudan several years ago. William and Charles had built a church in one village and asked two more global mission pioneers to join them in holding evangelistic meetings in a nearby unentered village. They invited everyone to the meeting, and many came. Night after night, the people listened to the gospel message, but not one person took a stand for the truth. William and his fellow mission pioneers were puzzled. The people had been kind, had offered them a place to stay and food to eat. Night after night they had listened to the messages. Why was there no response? The pioneers went from home to home asking the people to accept Jesus, but nobody wanted to join the church. The four were saddened by the lack of results, but they encouraged each other that they had sown seeds of faith. It was time for two of the global mission pioneers to return to their own area. Before they left, Charles wanted to take a picture of the group. The four climbed a hill where they had often prayed. The three stood together as Charles snapped the picture. When Charles developed the film, he found not three but four men standing on the hillside. The man standing beside William was dressed in white and held a Bible in his hand. The faithful pioneers knew that God had sent an angel to encourage them in their work. We knew from that picture that the gospel work is God's work, William said. He sent his angels to help us and to confirm our beliefs. We knew God was pleased with our work, even though we hadn't seen results. It's sure to bear fruit in the end. Part of this quarter's 13th Sabbath offering will help build a children's discipleship centre at the Juba Adventist Central Church in the capital city of South Sudan.
The children, who make up approximately 45% of the church membership, currently meet under a tree for Sabbath school and other children's meetings. Thank you for your generous support. This week's lesson has been read by Dr. Percy Harold in the studios of Christian Services for the Blind and Hearing Impaired. It is brought to you by the Sabbath School Department and through the services of Hope Channel. Remember, God is always faithful.